Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. You know, when you, you go in uh, airports or you go in large facilities, uh, sometimes on uh, trails, uh, you know, maybe out in the west or a national park, and you see a sign and it says, it has kind of the big map and it says, you are here. Uh, well, that's what I kind of want to do this morning because I, I, uh, I met some new people this morning and uh, you, you probably are not aware of where we are and what's going on. So I want to kind of show you where, where you are as you come in among us this morning. We're doing a, a series called Radical Growth, and uh, it's a sermon series based on a book uh, by Miles Stanford called Principles of Spiritual Growth. I was handed this book by a dear friend of mine. We've been meeting together for about a quarter of a century now, about 25 years, and he handed me this book early on in our meeting together, and he said, this is a great book. It's, it's, it's impacted my life, and I want to share a copy with you, and I immediately read it, and I've read that book every year. Since then, besides the Bible, I don't think I've ever read a book twice, <laughs> besides about, except for Principles of Spiritual Growth. So it's the second best book I've ever read besides the Bible. And I, I, I really felt last fall that um, I wanted to share the contents of this book with the church in a sermon series. And because it's 18 chapters long, I took it to the elders. And I didn't know what they were going to say about a sermon series that was 18 <laughs> 18 uh, Sundays long, but as I kind of presented this to them, they saw, they saw the wisdom in it, thankfully, and uh, uh, not my wisdom, but the wisdom of God, and they said, yes, let's go for it. So Dennis and I, Dennis Kozlov, uh, Dennis, could you kind of wave your hand back there? Dennis is the other preacher. We preach every other week. Uh, Putty's going to interrupt that next week, but that's all cool, um, but, um, and he'll preach on something completely different, so you'll get a break from this series, but... Um, uh, the book is out of print, which really uh, I'm very disappointed about. Uh, but also it's written in very kind of King James language. A lot of it is anyway. And so what I've determined to do is to paraphrase each chapter in kind of modern uh, contemporary language. And I have copies of this week's message and next week's message every Sunday for you to pick up. And um, we have these notebooks at, available at the, uh, the Welcome Center. They're five bucks, and uh, that's not bad. That The book itself costs, if you bought it on Amazon, you can still get used copies of the book on Amazon. I think they're like 12 bucks or something on, online. So you're getting a bargain. Uh, but every, every week you'll have another chapter to put in. So that's where we're at. That's, that's where we are. Um, and this week we're on chapter four, so we're not super far into the series, so, you know, you're, uh, you're coming in at a good time. We've talked about faith. We've talked about time. Two weeks ago, I taught the, sim- simply this, that God, uh, in transforming us into the image of Christ, that's the purpose of God in our lives. I'm kind of, spoiler alert, that's the, that's the whole point of my sermon this morning is the chapter on purpose. But God purposes to make us like Jesus, and that takes time. In fact, it takes a lifetime to conform us and transform us to, to the likeness of Christ. And so that's what God started out to do originally, and he's still about that. And so this morning, uh, the chapter is, on, uh, is called Purpose. 
And it's not our purpose, but it's God's purpose. God's purpose for you and me. And my first point is basically this, that God's purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. I hope you hear that so many times that you're sick of hearing it, because by the time you're sick of hearing it, it's beginning to soak into your heart. God's purpose for your life, regardless of who you are, how old you are, how young you are, what position you are in life, where... Uh, regardless of how many kids you have, regardless of where, where you work or what you do or what your ministry is, God's purpose is to conform you to the image of Christ because that was the original purpose. If you remember, when God created us, he said, let us make humankind in our image. The father turned to the son and said, let's, let's make human beings in our image. And basically what he was doing is he was creating more children. The father had a son, but he wanted more children, so he created us. Isn't that awesome? And he did this way, way, way before the the foundations of the universe were laid. You and I were in God's heart for all eternity. He had always purposed to make you and me and to make us in his image and in his likeness so that when anybody or anything looked at us, they would see him. And that got kind of messed up. First set of parents blew it. They sinned against God. They disobeyed. And as their spirits died, they, instead of looking like God, they became more and more in the image of sin. And uh, Putty, <laughs> I love this, he was talking uh, recently in the, 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 uh, um, the, the unit on identity. He says, when you, take a, you could take a beautiful document and take a black Sharpie marker and just mark all over that document, put it on the the copier, and begin to run copies, every one of those copies is going to look like the original. It's going to have black marks out. You're not going to take a, a copy with black marks all over it, put it on, and then have the nice, clean original come out. And so that's what's happened with the human race. As Adam and Eve procreated and their children procreated and they continue to have kids, they continue to birth children dead in spirit and full of sin. And so our, the image of, of mankind was marred, no longer looking like the image of Christ. But God never gave up on that. And so in the fullness of time, he sent his son, Jesus, as the second Adam, as the last Adam, to kind of start the race over. Let me, let me just tell you a story, and then I'll, I'll connect it. So the, there were two, two buddies in high school. One was... Super outgoing, super popular, really handsome kid, and uh, he had no problem getting a date. And he had a buddy that um, was kind of shy, kind of backwards, you know, kind of plain. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't ugly, but he wasn't really super handsome either. And he just had a really hard time getting a date. And so they they've been good friends for several years. And so the 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 real handsome, you know, outgoing kid said, "Hey," he says, uh, he says, "Jimmy, I gotta." I got a proposition for you. He said, I have a cousin named Jenny, and, and she's a beautiful girl, and she's about our age. She goes to another school, but he said, I've set up a blind date with her for you for Saturday night. Jimmy's like, oh, my goodness, I don't know about this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know this girl. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if I would like her. I don't know. I mean, you say she's pretty, but what if she's not? You know, what, what, if, what, what, what if I get there and I don't, I don't like her? I mean, what, 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 if it's not, you know, what if it's not a good situation? And his friend said, well, no. He said, don't worry about it. He said, just do what I do. He said, I've been on lots of blind dates. And he said, just do what I do. He said, when you go to the door, 
And the girl answers the door. He said, if, if she's pretty and she seems to have a nice personality, he said, you know, we go out and have a good time and, you know, and have a nice day. But, but if for some reason I'm disappointed when she opens the door, he said, I just fake an asthma attack. I just start going <laughs> like that. And I say, I'm sorry, but I'm having an asthma attack and I'm going to have to call off this date. So Jimmy's thinking, he's like, well, he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess that could work. He said, okay, all right, I'll give it a try. So Saturday morning, or Saturday evening rolls around, and, and uh, he pulls up to the house, gets out of the car, gets his nerve up, walks up to the door, knocks on the door. Jenny opens the door, and she is beautiful. And he can tell right away that she's got lots of personality, and he really is impressed with what he's seeing. And as he's standing there trying to... <laughs> figure out what to say to this girl, all of a sudden she goes, uh, uh. <laughs> aren't you glad, aren't you glad that no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your relationship with, with Jesus is like, no matter if you don't know him at all, if you just barely have come into the kingdom, but you're just st still really got you know, a, lot of, a lot of mess in your life, you're still not what you're supposed to be, or if you've been walking with the Lord for many years and, and that transformation and confirmation process has, has made you more like Jesus. No matter where you are, Jesus doesn't look at you and go, you know, God's not looking at you wanting to get you off his porch. In fact, let me just say this. As we talk about the transformation process, I am so glad that God doesn't wait until we're transformed and conformed into the image of Christ before he gives us his unconditional love and acceptance is what Dennis talked about last week. We get that right out of the gate. As soon as we come to Christ, and by the way, if you haven't made that decision, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life, is to come to Christ and to, and to have your spirit made alive by his spirit. You wake up and you suddenly realize the love of God and the beauty of God and the relationship with God as a child of God, and it's the greatest thing in the world. And as soon as you make that decision, you're accepted in, in Christ. God the Father accepts you in his Son immediately and forever. By one sacrifice, Hebrews 10:14, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the New Testament. By one sacrifice, Christ has perfected forever those who are being made holy. He's perfected us forever in the spirit and in our soul, in our will, in our mind, will, and emotion. He's making us holy by his indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what's happening. And so God doesn't look at us and, and fake an asthma attack. He loves us. Here's, here's the, the, the proof of this. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I'm just going to be reading uh, verses uh, 1 through 10. You were dead. You were dead. Now, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's telling these Gentiles that used to be pagans, that used to be lost, that used to not know God. You are dead in your transgressions and sin. We all are born that way. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That is, that's how good God is. 
Even when we were dead and rebellious and sinful and, and God's enemy, God made us alive in Christ. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that right now as you sit in this room, you are in Christ Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father? Dennis talked about how God has brought us into his family. There's only one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, living forever in this incredible love, adoration, relationship, and we have the honor of being brought into that family circle. That is mind-blowing when you think about it. In order that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We don't deserve to be there at the right hand of the Father in Christ. But we are by his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. Not by works. Not by works that anyone should boast. For we are God's masterpiece we are God's masterpiece I think it says handiwork here but it's translated in other translations masterpiece handiwork is good but I like masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works guys I want to contrast two stories I told you the story about Jenny when she saw Jimmy at the door and her response <laughs> fake the asthma attack because she didn't want him on her porch and I, I told a, a, a little parable uh, last, last fall about this Swiss clockmaker. And I'm not, I'm not going into all the details of this again. But if you remember the story, the Swiss clockmaker was walking by a, on his way back home from the store past this dump heap. And he saw one of his old clocks that he had made 30 years before sitting on this trash dump. Now, you and I would just see a piece of trash but the Swiss clockmaker, the Swiss clockmaker, hey, I'm up here, guys. The Swiss clockmaker um, saw the masterpiece. He saw his clock, and he knew what it was. He knew what he had created it to be, and so he walks over and picks it up off the trash dump and takes it back and sits it on his workbench with every intention of making it again what it was before. He, we see junk. He sees masterpiece. When you look at yourself... You may have an asthma attack. God doesn't have an asthma attack. He's like the clockmaker. He sees a masterpiece. He knows what you were intended to be when he created you, and he knows what he's making you now. He doesn't abandon us because of our brokenness, our fallenness, or our sinfulness. But his purpose is to make us like Jesus. Don't ever forget that. God's purpose is to make you like Jesus in his image and likeness. It says that all over the New Testament. My second point, and I'm going to try to clarify this as much as I can because this may sound a little weird, but this transformation is centered on Christ, the last Adam. When the first Adam failed us, the God, the Son, stepped into the human race, put on a human body, and became the second Adam, the last Adam. And he has made us right with God and brought us back to God in himself. As Dennis said last week, his cross was actually our cross. When he died, he not only died for us, he died as us. 
And everything about this whole thing is centered in Christ. He's the focal point. He's the prototype. And we're to be made like him. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us to do that very thing. There's a legend about the famous artist, sculptor, Michelangelo, who, um, this may not be true and most likely isn't, (laughs) but it's still a great story and it makes a good point. Someone supposedly, as, as Michelangelo is standing before this big stone, getting ready to carve the, the uh, chisel out the, uh, the image of King David. You know the famous David, Michelangelo's David? Just strong, you know, strapping guy with a slingshot and not very many clothes on. Anyway, um, it's a beautiful statue, though. And someone asked him as, as he began to, uh, to work on this, this statue, how are you going to how, how are you going to do this to make this stone look like David? And he said, "Oh, that's simple. All, all I need to do is, is chisel away anything that doesn't look like David." Good answer. The Holy Spirit is at work in you to remove anything that doesn't look like Jesus. Does that make sense? <laughs> Uh, Dennis's little daughter, Vika, she is, she is my adopted grandchild right now until, until my granddaughter's born. But anyway, I have a granddaughter coming in June, first one, uh, first grandchild. But Vika right now, you know, I've kind of borrowed her as, as a grand, granddaughter, and uh, we have a great relationship. We, we sometimes eat at Wendy's after church with Dennis and, and his family, and Vika always wants me to either sit by her or across from her, and we just have this greatest time. She takes French fries and acts like she's going to dip them in her vanilla Frosty, and I, I just, like, freak out. I'm like, no, no, please don't do that. It'll make your ears fall off and all this stuff, and she giggles, and then she does it anyway, and it's just great. But she often says to me, like, 50 times a lunch or whenever we're together, and she calls me Pastor Neela, by the way. Don't know. Anyway. She says, she says this, Pastor Neela, I have to tell you something. Pastor Neela, I need to tell you something. And so in, in, in that kind of frame of mind, church, I need to tell you something. I have to tell you something. Listen really closely. The work of transformation, the work of conforming you into the image of Christ is God's work, Period. The best that you can do is just cooperate. The best that you can do is just be like, like I, I, said, I think I said this before. I don't know what I've said. I'm too old to remember stuff. But uh, it, it's like a patient lying on the operating table trying to help the surgeon operate on themselves. That's not helpful. You need to stop. You need to get out of the way and, and just be on the table. Like be with Jesus. Be, you know, have a quiet time. You know, spend, spend time worshiping, come to church, do this. I mean, do the things that put you on the operating table. But the work of transformation is God's work in your life. And he is the one who will get it done. Does that make sense? And so God has purposed to remove anything in us that doesn't look like Jesus, but that is his job. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's a great verse. This is in the... Uh, 
the New English translation. It says, and we all with unveiled faces, in other words, we're, we're not like the Israelites having to look at Moses with this veil on his face. We, our faces are unveiled. The, the Lord's face is unveiled now towards us. Jesus came to reveal who Jesus is. And we all, we all with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Who's doing the work? The Spirit, the Lord, the Spirit, the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, the Spirit's the Lord too. God's the Lord, the Father's the Lord, the Son's the Lord, and the Spirit is the Lord. It's three, three persons, as, as Putty put it, three who's and one what. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you to transform you from one degree of glory to another. Notice it doesn't say from one level of garbage to another. You're not coming out of the garbage. You, you are redeemed. You are made righteous before God, right with God at the very outset. You've been perfected forever in your spirit, but God is transforming your mind. He's renewing your mind. He's helping you surrender your will, and he's healing your emotions as he transforms you and conforms you to the image of Christ. And my third point is this. Failure of self-effort is one of God's main chief tools in our transformation. <laughs> I am so happy about that. Oh my gosh, this actually delivered me from a midlife crisis. Because I, when I was about 40 years old, uh, I actually uh, w was, was really in the, the early years of being senior pastor, and I knew I had no idea what I was doing. And I was scared to death. I mean, I was scared for years. Like, like people didn't know that, but I just didn't, you know, seminary doesn't train you to be a, a pastor and to, to lead people. Seminary trains you to be a seminary professor. I mean, that's what all seminary professors are doing is just spilling over all they, they learned so that you can know what they know, which is to be a seminary professor. But we, we got no training on leadership. We got no training on pastoral care. We got no training on counseling. We got... We, we got no training on, on how to uh, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mainly, we just got trained on how to preach and teach out of the Greek and Hebrew, which I never really understood. So I came out of seminary thinking I knew everything, realizing after I became senior pastor that I actually knew nothing. And so um, I felt like a failure. And uh, as I'm reading this book, I'm beginning to realize, you know what, God really likes to use failures. He really does. Think about when I say disciples, what disciple comes to mind immediately? Peter. I mean, it, the, the universal, everybody's, everybody's disciple. Peter. There's, did you know there were 11 others? Probably the second guy you think about is John. But Peter's almost always the disciple that comes to mind. And the thing I love about Peter is that he had a big mouth, he was standing up when he should have been sitting down. He was talking when he should have been being quiet. He was always messing up, and he ultimately denied Christ after Jesus had just said, anyone who denies me before men, I will deny before the Father and the holy angels. So he denied Christ three times at his during his trial, and then it says that he went out and, and, and wept bitterly. 
And guess who Jesus called to feed his sheep <laughs> after this whole thing was over? I appreciate the crickets, by the way. That means that I'm not being exciting enough here. And so um, I just want you to hear this I really afresh right now. In Romans 8.28 and 8.29, you can't read those separate from one another. Most people know Romans 8.28. They don't probably know Romans 8.29. But Romans 8.28 says this, that God causes, God causes all things to work together for our good. What's the good that he's trying to work towards? I already told you. To make us like Jesus. That's the best good he could do for us is to make us like Jesus. Well, that's what chapter or that's what verse 29 says. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. Amen. So he causes all things to work together to conform us to the image of Christ and he loves to look uh, to 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 use our when we fail in our own strength. He loves that. He loves for us to fail in our own self-effort. Let me read why. One of God's, this is from the book now, this is from the chapter that you have, or chapter 4. One of God's most effective tools in the process of our transformation is failure. <laughs> Love that. Many believers are completely stressed out over the fact of failure in their lives, and they will go to great lengths to try and hide it, ignore it, or rationalize about it. And all the time, they are resisting the main instrument in the Father's hands for conforming us to the image of His Son, Failure where self is concerned in our Christian life and service is allowed and often orchestrated by God in order to turn us completely from self to his source for our life, Jesus Christ who never fails. I love that. I just love that. One of my heroes in the faith, and through the, through the last probably two decades, I have been collecting... Uh, short biographical um, stories of, of the great saints of the faith, people like J. Hudson Taylor, who was the first missionary to inland China, um, uh, Oswald Chambers, who wrote the classic uh, Our, My Utmost for His Highest. He was a missionary. He died at the age of 39. I just cannot believe the maturity of somebody that young to write something that profound, and he was apparently an amazing guy. But I've, I've collected these testimonies, and these folks were all failures, by the way. Every single one of these people that I've collected testimonies over were absolute abject failures. And one of my favorites is a guy named Charles Trumbull. He was, uh, he was uh, an editor and a writer for the Sunday School Times, which used to be a big deal back last century, and uh, was one of the... Uh, most read publications in Christianity, in, at least in America. And he was one of the chief editors and writers of that. And um, he was experiencing failure after failure after failure in his Christian life. He said he would witness to people and no one would come to Christ. He said he would try to pray for people and they would get sicker instead of well. He, 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 he would try to go and do things that he knew that he was, he was hopelessly inadequate to do and he would fall right on his face and he said he was getting more and more depressed and very very disappointed and I just want to read just an excerpt from his testimony he said the climax of my need came at the world missionary conference in Edinburgh England in 1910 
when he went eagerly to hear a message on the resources of the Christian life. Dr. Trumbull said, I expected the speaker to give us a series of definite things that we could do to strengthen our Christian life, and I knew I needed them. But his opening words showed me my mistake while they made my heart leap with new joy. What he said was something like this, the resources of the Christian life, my friends, are just Jesus Christ. That was all, but that was enough. The crisis of the deeper life came to him that summer. He was attending uh, a young people's missionary conference. And in his own words, he said, I was faced by a week of daily work for which I knew I was miserably and hopelessly unfit and incompetent. In the providence of God, the first message was by a fellow speaker on the water of life from John 7. Uh, He heard again that the rivers of living water in the Christian's life should flow continuously and irresistibly not intermittently. The next morning, Sunday morning, alone in my room, I prayed it out with God, and as I asked him to show me if there was a concept of God or of Christ that I did not have because it was a secret of some of these other lives I had seen and heard of, I asked God to give it to me. And God, in his long-suffering patience, gave me our patience, forgiveness, and love gave me what I asked for. He gave me a new Christ, a completely new conception and consciousness of Christ. And what was the result of that? There are five things that I, I wrote when I read that testimony, and these are the five. Intimacy with God, victory over besetting sins, victory over sins that constantly defeat us, peace and rest, Power in ministry and fruitfulness. Those things begin to result in his life. Now, he had grown and grown and grown, and he reached a point where God revealed more of Christ to him. And then from that place, he went on into intimacy, deeper intimacy, more victory, better rest, more power, more fruitfulness. That's what we're heading towards, folks. That's what I want you to experience. That's what I want to experience more. I wasn't planning to share this, but I'm going to. A couple weeks ago, uh, I'd had a pretty rough, uh, pretty rough Monday. Just, just wasn't a good day. And um, I went to bed exhausted. Um, the next morning, I woke up, and uh, it was Tuesday morning, um, I just uh, normally get up at 5.30 and, and you know, try to have my, uh, I come over here, I pray, and then, and then I have a quiet time and all this stuff. And that morning I just woke up and I just felt like, oh, I just, you know, I just felt like, Lord, am I ever going to change? Am I ever going to be any different, any better? I mean, I was, I was feeling that whole, I mean, I, I think I just preached on time and I woke up the next morning and of course I'm doubting my own words the day before my sermon. And that happens sometimes, but... I need these sermons just as much as you do, by the way, regardless of whether it's me preaching or Dennis. But I woke up, and Jesus said, don't get up. He said, I'm doing heart surgery right now. I just want you to rest. And so I just laid there and fell back asleep. And I woke up half an hour or so later. He said, I'm still, I'm still doing heart surgery. Go back to sleep. So I closed my eyes and fell asleep again. About... I don't know, maybe an hour later I woke up again. He said, now I'm working on your mind. 
Just rest. Just lay here and rest. I'm working on your mind right now. Go back to sleep. So I, I fell asleep again. I finally woke up at 9.30. I felt like a new person, honestly. I've never had any experience like that in my life. But I will tell you that things have changed drastically. I, 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 I'm not going into the details. I just will say that God did something in my life that morning. And he will lead us to places where he does uh, these kind of leaps. It's kind of like the tree that, you know, it's, it's dormant, it, it, it's not growing, and, and then from about mid-May to about mid-July, it has a certain sudden burst of growth. And then it settles in and doesn't grow again until the next year in terms of, you know, and so each year it deposits a ring of, of, of uh, you know, the, tr- the growth of the tree, and you can actually cut the tree and count the rings to know how old the tree was. But there's just this short period of growth, and then it settles in, and, and, and there's a time of waiting again. I shared about that with the whole thing about time. But God has to do the work. The Holy Spirit's at work in our lives. He's going to get it done. And I just want to say again, he uses failure. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't because I was, I'd had a great day and accomplished all these things for Jesus that he did this work in my heart. I had had a really bad day the day before. It was horrible, honestly. And the next morning, he did the heart surgery and the mind surgery. Brain surgery, I guess. I don't know. The fourth point is that we are transformed in, or to Christ's image as we look away from ourself to him. Get your eyes off yourself. <laughs> it doesn't help. Introspection does not help you. In fact, it makes things worse. The more we focus on ourselves, the, the, the harder it is for God to, to work with us. We need to look away from ourselves and look at Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that scripture again in 2 Corinthians 3, and then I'm going to follow up with Hebrews 12, 2. And we all, with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, and, and there, there are other translations that say, as we look upon him, as we look to Jesus, We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is doing the work. And then Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not on yourself. Not on your sin. Not on other people around you. Not on... uh, how good you're doing, how bad you're doing, how much you're working, how little you're working, not on anything else. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of your faith. Do you understand what that means? The author, he's the, the, the initiator, the originator of your faith, and he perfects it all the way through until you're mature and you're looking a lot more like him. It's his job. He's the one. That's why we fix our eyes on him, not on ourselves. If we're every day we're judging how well or how poorly we're doing, we're really missing the Christian life because it's all about Jesus. It's all centered on him and the work of his spirit in our lives, but we need to fix our eyes on him. Listen to this. This is in the, the, the last of this chapter, this quote by Norman Doughty. It's probably my favorite quote in the entire book. If I am to be like Christ, 
please, please hear this. Please listen closely. If I am to be like Christ, then God in his grace must do it. You hear that? God in his what? Must do it. By the way, when in, in, in Hebrews 4, it says we, we approach, like, like, like Christ who knew no sin, uh, uh, you know, he never sinned, but he's our great high priest who sympathizes with us because he was tempted in every way as we were. I believe that happened the 40 days in the wilderness when Satan just took him through the paces of every temptation under the sun. 40 days, Luke says he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. How was he tempted? He was out there with nothing. I believe it was like a virtual reality show that the enemy paraded before him. We only hear about the last three temptations. But I believe he was tempted to lust, to, to kill, to, you know, I believe that everything happened right there. And it says, but because he's our high priest, he can sympathize with our weaknesses, so we approach the throne of grace, not of judgment. Amen. It's great. It's the throne of grace. So if I am to be like Christ, then God in his grace must do it. The sooner I, I realize this fact, the sooner I will give up on trying to do it myself. Throw down every effort to be like Jesus and just say, I cannot do it. You know, about 10 years ago, somebody came out with these little bracelets that said WWJD on them. I never wore one of those bracelets because I knew I couldn't do what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? Perfect. The right thing every time. How does that help me? I can't imitate him. He's got to do it, folks. The more I try, the further I get from his likeness. What am I to do to become like Jesus? Here it is. Ah, the Holy Spirit says. You cannot do it. Just stop trying. Come out of the boxing ring and take off the gloves. You have been in the ring and you have been fighting and striving to beat down your flesh. In this effort, you have proven to be a failure. Hallelujah. <laughs> you have proven to be a failure. Now come out and sit down. And as you sit there, behold Jesus. Just focus on him. Don't try to be like him. Just look at him. Just be occupied with him. Forget about trying to, to be like him. Just behold him. Come to the Lord and come to his word for one purpose, and that is to meet the Lord. Don't read the word to get your, your mind crammed full of things. Just come to behold him. I'm going to close with this one thought. You know what happens when you're exposed to heavy doses of radiation? You, you first of all, you are, as you're, you're, you're uh, exposed to it, you absorb it into yourself. There are a group of women that worked um, during World War II around a lot of radiation, and their bones actually glowed. So there's, 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 there's absorption of radiation, but there's also a re-radiation. When you absorb enough radiation, you begin to radiate radiation. That's a bad thing. But when we talk about 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's a good thing. Because we with unveiled faces, if we behold the Lord and we absorb his glory, we begin to be transformed into that glory. 
from one degree of glory to another. And we begin to look a lot like Jesus. And this is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.